Turn to Mark's Gospel. Got an interesting story we're going to study this morning out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. And um, I've entitled the message this morning. It's not sort of a usual Sunday morning message, but everyone who knows me knows that I'll just tread where no one else will tread, <laughs> especially on Sunday morning. I figure that's when I have most folks here. Might as well hit it while they're here. And um, I've entitled the message this morning, uh, Demons, Dysfunction, and Getting Your Deliverance. Demons, Dysfunction, and Getting Your Deliverance. A famous writer and one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis, and he once wrote these words. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And, uh, you know, I'm of, the, I'm of the notion that, by and large, I, I don't want to give the enemy uh, any more time than really he's worth. But truth be told, you can't get far reading the Gospels without finding Jesus running into him. And his mission, according to Acts 10.38, and it's not our text today, but guys, if you could post Acts 10.38, it says that Jesus went about uh, being anointed of God with power, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so that was one of the major features of Jesus' ministry. And that, of course, is good news but only in as much as we recognize the points that the enemy is oppressing us and where the power of the cross can have its full effect in our life. So I want to read you this. I think it's a real interesting story. It's been years since I've preached from this passage. Believe it or not, this is one of the first passages. I'm talking when I'm 19 years old. This was one of the first passages I ever spoke from, and I just sort of have left it alone for the last 32 years. Because I just, I probably did it a disservice at 19. But we're going to take another look at it, and I believe there's something that God would really like to speak to us in Mark chapter 5. If you have it, say amen. If not, I'm sure they'll post it overhead. We read, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, speaking of Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That's an interesting verse. Verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he, meaning Jesus, had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I'm going to stop there, but uh, you'll want to keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be reading 
and making mention of some verses from verse 10 to verse 20 as well because it's a lengthy passage. And uh, I'm, of the, I'm of the mindset that if there's something lengthy in the Scripture, it might mean there's something important to pick up out of that particular section of Scripture. So we're talking about demons, dysfunction, and getting your deliverance. Jesus has just finished an extended period of time. He had been teaching the multitudes, we are told, and he jumps into a boat. In fact, he'd actually been teaching the multitudes from a boat offshore, so many of them had gathered. And after this teaching, extended teaching period of time, he gathers the disciples, they get into the boat, and they begin to cross the sea. And as they're crossing the sea, the Scripture tells us that he's, he's so worn out, apparently, that he, he falls into a deep sleep. And as he's in this deep sleep, a great storm begins to gather up. And it, it, it suddenly produces the familiar passage of the disciples being upset. Uh, they're in great worry and anxiety over this storm. They finally get the master awakened and he says, peace be still. And it shuts down. It shuts down the storm. And, and they marvel at how even his words have power in order to, you know, tackle and take on the elements and uh, the weather. And as soon as they get to the other side of the sea, apparently it's nighttime, as best as I can ascertain. It's, it's nighttime, if you can picture that in your mind. And he immediately meets a man that is said to have an unclean spirit. So it's in the early morning hours, probably still dark. And it makes the scene when you begin to think about really compelling because they, they come up on shore. This guy who's half crazy, said to have an evil spirit, comes yelling and screaming. And all of a sudden, it's you thought you had a storm out on the sea. You got a storm right there on the shore. And it has always amazed me as I just began to think about this, how the enemy loves to show up at night. I don't know about you, but, but most of my issues with the enemy never show up at noon. It's usually about midnight. And it's when you're tired, it's when you're exhausted. Sometimes you're even coming off a great victory and uh, things have been going well. And all of a sudden, he shows up oftentimes to mess you up, to detour you. And I guess I'm just glad that even Jesus faces it. So the enemy, the enemy never waits for your best moment. He always waits for the most opportune moment. Just as God is opportune in your life, don't misunderstand, the enemy's opportune as well. He can peak, pick your weakest moment, an opportune moment when he can begin to get you detoured. And, and through the years, as I've just taught on this particular area, people have accused me on occasion of trying to find a demon under every rock or, or trying to find a devil behind every bush. And my answer to them has always been, I wish they would stay there. Because if they'd stay there, it wouldn't be causing the rest of us any problems. But this guy who has an unclean spirit, he's not under a rock and he's not behind a bush. He's right up in the master's grill. He's right there in front of all of the disciples. And he is what you would call in modern, appropriate psychological parlance, dysfunctional. Would you agree? Just from what you've read? He is highly dysfunctional. Now, I want to speak for a moment on, on linking the demonic and the dysfunctional. I'm just going to give you a little link here. Some years back, there was a guy by the name of M. Scott Peck that wrote a book. It was, it was a best-selling book. Uh, I don't know that many people just out and about in normal average America probably read it, but those 
who are in schools and academia and probably in psychotherapy and, and psychiatry, I'm quite sure they read it. M. Scott Peck wrote a book entitled uh, People of the Lie. And in this book, People of the Lie, he begins to document highly dysfunctional, disturbed people. Now, Peck was a psychiatrist, and it was interesting to me because he was, he was studying people from a psychiatrist's angle, and he was trying to reconcile disorders of the mind and evil and even the demonic. And it was just amusing to me as I read through the book that um, he's wrestling with spiritual concepts that some of which he doesn't believe, some of which he's just on the beginning side of his faith trying to understand. And he's wrestling with all of these things. And I just thought it was kind of amusing how this highly intelligent psychiatrist is wrestling with people that have no therapeutic answer with regards to psychology. And so he instantly has to go to this concept of, is there a devil? And if so, how does the devil work in these people's lives? And so he wrestles with all of this all through the book. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist, nor am I a licensed psychologist, but I understand enough of the word, and I've worked with people long enough to understand that there's a link between a person's dysfunction and demonic activity. I understand that the issues that people, all of us, face like our environment. We grow up in certain environments and those environments affect us for the rest of our lives. I understand that, that people have different levels and layers of education that can, that can help them or harm them. I understand genetics. I understand how you were raised and however your parents determined to raise you that can leave you uh, with an incredible uh, influence for good or for bad. Uh, I understand that you can't blame the devil for everything. I get it that we grow up in certain situations and that situation is convoluted and twisted and that environment has twisted us. Can I just say this though? I believe that the enemy uses our convoluted situations in order to find that place of entrance into our life to continue or perpetuate these dysfunctional aspects in most of our lives. But I want to say all of this so that folks that may be here for the first time or those of you that are, 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 you know, haven't been here long, just so you understand me, I believe that there's a legitimate place for psychology. I believe that there's a legitimate place for psychiatry. I believe there's a legitimate place in order to receive medication, especially if there are chemical imbalances. I, I, I don't check my brain out at the door in order to come to church. I understand that there can be things that medical science can help us with in order that we can uh, begin to be more whole, functional people. I'm just giving you some concepts here. Number one is, I believe psychology does a great job at identifying things in our life. I just don't believe psychology has the answer for our life. And if you can, if you can run in that circle, then you'll understand me. I, I believe that, that, that people, doctors, psychiatrists can help us understand certain things in our life. But, but a lot of times, all medicine is doing is suppressing and anesthetizing an issue that needs to be set free in our life. Now, again, I'm not saying that medicines don't have their place. Do not walk out of here and say, Pastor said I could get off my medication. I didn't say that. I'm just saying not everything in your life is fixed by a pill. And someone needs to stand up and, and just begin to share with you that there may be another answer that you can receive that can actually set you free. And in this passage of Scripture, I believe we find a person who is not just dysfunctional, but he is highly oppressed by the enemy. And we need to get a clear understanding 
of the concepts of oppression and dysfunction and what they really look like in our life. Now, let me just say that most of us get our spiritual understanding from wrong places like Hollywood. Because when I start talking about demonic oppression or possession, instantly Hollywood images come up in our mind and everybody runs to Linda Blair in The Exorcist, spinning her head 360 degrees, scabbed up, vomiting pea soup. And that's what Hollywood has left us with these kind of images of evil and oppression. We see things like Michael Myers and, and, and other movies. I mean, grotesque figures. It's interesting that, that while we sort of gravitate in our thinking that that somehow probably is evil or demonic, we never try to assimilate concepts of Harry Potter or vampires and other things. I realize I'm a dinosaur. I got it. But I, I'm, just, I'm just sowing some things into your, your spirit that you'll begin to think about. We don't know what to think. We think as long as it's cute, it's cool, and if it's scary, it must be the devil. And we don't know what to believe. And so I'm going to try to help you in understanding a little bit of what oppression and dysfunction, what the root of it and what it looks like. There's a word in the New Testament uh, that is oftentimes mistranslated, unfortunately, in the old King James Version. Uh, it's the word demoniozai. Demoniozai. Everybody say demoniozai. See, like you're Greek scholars already right there. Demoniozai. The old King James Version has translated it. And if you're carrying one, it probably says these very words. It says he met a man that was possessed. That's an unfortunate translation. The reason being is that demoniozai does not mean possessed. It means, uh, go ahead and post it, guys, the next one. It means uh, really a better translation is to be influenced by a demon or to be oppressed, to be influenced by a demon, or to be oppressed. Now, the reason this is very important, just to linger here for just a moment, is that verse 6 that I mentioned to you. Because here's a guy that we can see is highly dysfunctional. The Bible already declares that he has an unclean spirit. But yet, he has the wherewithal that when he sees Jesus, what does he do? He goes and what? He goes and worships him. Is that not amazing? So at some level, this man knows that he's to worship the Lord. And yet at another level, we find him incredibly oppressed and dysfunctional. Now, this is the part you need to get a hold of. Possession equals ownership. Possession equals ownership. If you're possessed by the devil, that means the devil owns you. Okay, get that. Oppression equals influence. Now, the reason I like this story and to use it as our springboard is because of this, that there are literally untold myriads of believers who love the Lord. They have given their heart to God in as much as they know what to do. They've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead. They worship God they love him. Are you following me? And yet, they're highly oppressed. Now, there are varying degrees of oppression. Some people are oppressed at minimal levels, perhaps just simple discouragements and, and, and ways of thinking. But there are other people who are highly oppressed. In fact, I have met believers. And I've had people argue with me through the years, but I just, I've just seen too many believers 
deal with issues in their life that, that, that doesn't mean they, they don't love God or they're not connected somehow to God. But what it does say is, is that there's such influence of the enemy in their life that they are basically shut down, going nowhere, detoured, and, and, and they're just, they're, well, they don't have to worry about hell. They're already living it out of that oppression. In fact, sometimes oppressions can be so great. Oppressions, hear me, can be so great it even looks like possession. Why else would people who say they love God make such poor decisions at times? Why would it be that people who say they love God end up crashing morally or integrally? Why, why would that be? Why is it that you hear even ministers of the gospel who will talk about bouts of depression and, and darkness? Let me share this with you. And, and it's not to put fear because I've got good news before it's over. Nobody is immune from the enemy. He's not dead. The Bible says that he goes about roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And folks, even if you're a believer, if you're going to let him come in, he can cause a lot of havoc. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that sin and the flesh causes a level of dysfunction in all of our lives as well. But when doors are left open, I call them open doors. When there's unresolved things that are left open, perhaps they're traumas, perhaps it could be sin, perhaps it could be a traumatic event. When, when open doors are left in our life, what happens is, is that it gives the enemy the ability to get into our soul. In fact, the Greek word for soul is psuche, which is where we get psychology and psychiatry, because those sciences are really sciences of the soul. It's where our, it's where our mind, our will and our emotions exist. And if you get the enemy in your mind and in your decision making and in your emotions, how many of you know he can mess up your life? A lot of us have made bad decisions because of how we felt. A lot of us have made bad decisions because of what we thought. And if the enemy can get into our feelings and into our thinking, then he can cause us to make poor decisions. And because we've made poor decisions, it leads our life to a place that is dysfunctional and potentially destructive. So we need to understand that, that if we, we don't deal with this, then our quality of life will be greatly diminished. Jesus promised us life and that more abundantly. But I'm just telling you, there are many, many believers who are not living out those particular passages. Now, you say, Pastor, why is all of this even important? Why is knowing this important? <clears throat> Here's what I think. I believe the church has lost its deliverance authority. We've just relegated that off to the psychiatric ward. We've relegated it off to therapists and counselors. Again, they have a totally legitimate place in our society and even within the church world. But the problem is, even though not everything is demonic, when will we admit that not everything is fixed by simply thinking positive and getting another counselor? See, last week, Clayton talked about, my son talked about how we must be renewed in our thinking by the word and by his presence. There is a place, listen to me, there is an absolute important place to be counseled and sitting under the word. But people are sitting by the thousands bound and oppressed every Sunday morning, waiting for their next counseling appointment waiting for the next four hours to go in order to pop the next pill, in order to do whatever it is that they're doing out there. And I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that Jesus went about setting people free, oppressed from the enemy. 
Now, again, I'm not throwing stones at medicine. Everybody remember that. Not throwing stones at it. I'm just simply saying, if the pill ain't fixing you, then maybe it's time we dug a little deeper. So let's talk about the symptoms of the oppressed. Before I get to that, I just, I just want to talk about this guy here. He's just an interesting guy, this legion. As I, as I mentioned, oppression is not a one-size-fits-all issue. There are degrees of oppression in people's life. You may not be incapacitated by all of your issues, but that doesn't mean you don't have issues. It could mean that everyone else in your life just navigates around your issues. I hear people say, I don't have any issues. I know, everybody else just avoids you. It's not that you're so right, it's just that everybody says it ain't worth it. You following me? Many people, many people have learned the art of suppression. They just keep jamming things down, jamming things down. And what happens is, is that externally they look real good, but internally they're full of torment. So you can look well on the outside, but inside it can be like upheaval. And I just want to go through here because I just thought there were several things here that were really interesting because, because I want to go through these symptoms because listen to me, you may not be legion. I mean, I mean, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but legion, you know, he's the, this guy is dysfunctional. In fact, It'll tell us later that he was running around without any clothes on. I, I, I mean, that's dysfunctional. And, and I realize you can instantly say, well, I'm not Legion. You're right, because everybody's clothed here, so nobody's like Legion. I got it. But just because you aren't him doesn't mean that there aren't varying degrees of oppression that you might need to just think about in your life. And what I'm here to do isn't just to pick on you. It's here to get you free. It's here to get you whole. It's here to get you better. There are several things about Legion that are interesting. The first one I put down here is that he lived in isolation. He was running around in a graveyard. How many of you know graveyards are not necessarily the gathering places of a city? Graveyards are not places people swarm to in order to fellowship and be a part of. Graveyards have their place, but few would choose to want to live and function in a graveyard. And, and what that says to me is that he was isolated. Nobody was there with him, just dead folk. I mean, he, he was isolated. He didn't want live people, living people around him. And the oppressed, listen to me, you'll find out oftentimes isolate themselves. They don't want to be with other people. They just, they, they, the, the enemy fools them into thinking, you know, they could be by themselves. Maybe they can even fix it by themselves. So he lived in isolation. Number two, he chose to live in a toxic environment. He chose to live in a toxic environment. Now, again, I'm just thinking about this as I'm just kind of musing and meditating over the scripture here. You know, in those days, they didn't have uh, appropriate, uh, uh, as far as how you worked with the dead or dealt with the dead. And, and they would bury the dead and do other things with the dead. But they would deteriorate and it would literally be toxic. It would be a toxic environment. And I started to think about that. I just started to think about there he was living in this toxic environment. He was living in an environment of death. There was no life, no hope, no encouragement, no support, no sense of the future, but only the past. He lived there isolated in pain and in grief and in sorrow. And it's interesting how those who are oppressed are oftentimes sucked into toxic environments. Toxic environments are places that are poisonous. Everyone say poisonous. Poisonous. Toxic environments are poisonous for your spiritual and emotional well-being. 
And yet oppressed people oftentimes find themselves sucked in and attached to those toxic environments. Everything in that environment, nothing's speaking life to you. Nothing's speaking encouragement to you. Nothing, nothing is helping you go forward. Everything is pointing you to the past. It's toxic. And it's not bringing health into your, into your system. Number three, it tells us that he had exhausted human solutions to his dysfunction. It's interesting that the professional answer in those days for Legion was shackles and chains. That was the professional solution. We can't handle them any other way. We'll put chains on him. And what were they doing by putting shackles and chains? They were suppressing the symptoms. The symptoms was he'd run around, throw stones, running around naked, screaming and yelling all times of the day and night, and nobody wanted to deal with that. And so what did they do? They, they, they suppressed the symptoms and the manifestation. Now, I'll say it again. Drugs have a place. But what happens when the drug's not working? Why don't we ever say to ourselves, if the pill ain't working, then, then we, we probably need to evaluate this again. See, our medicine cabinets in America are full of trying to medicate out a demonic oppression. Now, I'm just saying it out loud, but we all know intuitively that's true. Number four, he refused to listen or respond to others. Now, these again are symptoms. No one could bind him, the Bible says. Nobody could tame him. He refused to respond to anyone's help. Isn't it amazing how oppressed people seem to know what's best for them when it comes to getting their release? If you ever see someone that's especially very, very oppressed, it's amazing how they know what they need. My answer is one of two things. How's it been working for you so far? And number two is if you think you have knowledge of what you need, then why aren't you where you ought to be? You, you see, there comes a moment that, that you've got to listen to someone else's input into your life. Number five, he was on an emotional roller coaster. Night and day, day and night. The Bible says he was in the mountains or he was in the tombs. In the mountains or in the tombs, crying, moaning, seeking help from somewhere. I'm just telling you, it's interesting how in the Bible we can see, we can see these violent mood swings of people. And, and they labeled it correctly. They said there was demonic activity that was going on here. Now, I understand we have more therapeutic, kinder terms. We call it things like bipolar, OCD, ADHD, ADD. I mean, we have all these, we have all these different letters, don't we? And again, I'm not saying it's just amazing how when I grew up, no one knew what ADD was. Now everybody's got it. Do you understand? That's raising children. Every child has a season of ADD. I'm just, I mean, all my children were ADD. They, they didn't need medication. They needed parenting. All right, well, I'll leave that one go too. Emotional roller coaster. Number six, the Bible says that he had suicidal thoughts. He obviously had entered into a depression. The Bible says he was cutting himself with stones. I'm just going to say suicidal thoughts are demonic. They're demonic. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Anytime a suicidal thought comes into you, that's demonic. It's not normal. And you need to understand that's where the enemy wants to ultimately lead you. Trace has said this on occasion. I've said it on occasion. The enemy's not out just to give you a bad hair day. He's not just out to thwart your to-do list. He's out to kill you. And that's why you can't negotiate with them. Number seven, there's paranoia. Paranoia. 
says in verse 7 that, that he was of the opinion that Jesus, isn't that interesting, was out to mess him up. Look what it says here. He says, what if I have to do with you, Jesus? I implore you, do not torment me. Isn't that interesting? He's looking at his answer, but he thinks that his very answer is out to mess him up. Can I just share this with you? Jesus isn't out to mess you up. He's out to set you free. How many times have, have oppressed people said, well, you know, I don't know that I need that Jesus stuff. That religion stuff is a crutch for these people or that people. Well, there's hypocrites. And, you know, we, we hear all of this. Well, you know, I don't know that I need church all that much. And that stuff's for the weak. And, you know, all they want to do is control you and get your money anyway. And can you see, can you just see for a minute how twisted and convoluted people's minds are? that had become convinced that the very answer that they need is the very problem that they'll face if they submit their lives to Him. And it's the greatest paradox you'll ever find. Here's a guy who internally is filled with fear about even the Lord. And yet, paradoxically, he's the same guy that says, but the chains don't work, so I'm running to worship Him. I'm running to worship Him. Paranoia. Number eight, I put down here, sexual confusion. We know in the Scripture, as I'll mention here in just a moment or two, it says here, uh, I'm looking at, it says in verse 15, that uh, when he had ultimately got to his healing, that he was in his right mind, and the Bible says that he was clothed. So we can assume from that, as I mentioned, that he'd been running around without any clothes on. Oh, you know, that's confusion. Confusion. Can we agree? I mean, let's just one more time. Can we agree that if you're running around without any clothes on, you may have an issue? Well, you know, in the day and age we live in, I don't know anymore. I just don't know anymore. I mean, I, I mean, I just know. I mean, I know people are texting themselves every which direction without any clothes on. I mean, you turn on your television, people aren't wearing much at all. I always find it fascinating how, how the loudest declares of freedom are the most bound. You know, Hollywood isn't free, it's bound. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you. If you've got to put your stuff out there for everybody to see, you're bound. I, 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 I've heard everybody go, well, you know, the body's beautiful and, and you know, it's, it's just a work of art. No, it's not. For every guy that lets his eyes gaze on a woman like that, I'm just telling you, it ain't art. It ain't art. I'm a guy and I'll say it out loud, it ain't art. I mean, celebrities, athletes, TV stars, politicians are some of the most oppressed people we see on a regular basis. Nobody says it. I know Katy Perry is oppressed. Her favorite song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. You're oppressed. I don't know. I can't believe you'd say that. Well, how else are you going to get set free? And I'll tell you, you're, 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 you're sitting there dangling with an oppression if you can listen to it for very long. You're just simply enabling her oppression to go on. I was reading the other day the thing about 
Jillian Michaels. I figure if these people put this stuff out on the public domain and in magazines and other stuff, then it, why should they care if I mention it in the middle of a sermon? Jillian Michaels. If you don't know who Jillian is, Jillian, Jillian is like the, 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 the boot camp sergeant for uh, Biggest Loser, Jillian. And Jillian said in an article, it was a nationally known magazine, she just said she can love a man or she can love a woman. It really doesn't matter much to her. Now, now, she may understand all there is about nutrition and exercise, but she's oppressed. She's oppressed. I just figured I'd let you all know. Those Kardashian girls. Oh, they are oppressed. Let's just not leave it to the women. I mean, there are men who have to have hundreds of women. They're oppressed. Bisexuality, homosexuality, addictions to pornography. I can go down the list. I mean, it's just not only in this area, but I'm telling you that, that sexual confusion is an indicator of oppression. Listen, our inability to keep our clothes on as a society only proves how oppressed we are. Now, I just went through the quick list here. Let's talk about how do we get our deliverance? How do, how do, how do we begin to press out all of these things because I know we're getting it every direction. You can't, you can't go anywhere. You can't hardly watch anything. You're not that you're not going to get a commercial or something. And it's just, it's, it's a highly charged bound society we live in. So the question is, how do we get our deliverance? And there's a couple of things I want to say before I give you a simple, real simple list. Hopefully that'll bring you to the place of freedom. Number one, and it's this, you are not the exemption to the rule. This means two things. The first one is, is that you're not going to accomplish by yourself what so far you've been unable to do. So you can't say to yourself, well, I realize other people need help, but I don't need any help. Though that's just simply not true. You're not an exemption to the rule. You need input and help in your life. Secondly, you are not the one person whom God decided that his ways wouldn't work for you. I have people who've said it before. Well, I've tried this and that, and I've even tried the Lord, and it doesn't work for me. Well, you know what? It ain't the Lord's fault. So you're not the exception to the rule. You've got to understand God is no respecter of persons. He will bless you like he'll bless anyone else, and he'll work on you just like he'll work on anyone else. You're not the exception. Number two, this is not about a lack of authority or power. Jesus, it's interesting because when you read the passage, it mentions here that Jesus did not instantly set this man free. In fact, literally, it says here in verse 9, of course, my version said, um, excuse me, for he, uh, verse 8, said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. I'm talking about verse 8. Uh, some of you that have other versions, it, it will say, for he had been saying to the man. They put it with an I-N-G in there. The reason they do that is because the literal Greek tense, and unfortunately in the English, we only have three tenses. In the Greek, you have about ten tenses, which signify just anything and everything. But truth of the matter is, is that for some time, the scripture is telling us in the original language that Jesus had been working on this man, speaking to this man, saying to this man, come out of him. Now, knowing that really helps me because I, I would think all of us would agree on this fact that Jesus doesn't lack authority or power, right? There is no lack of authority or power in Jesus. And yet Jesus had been saying to him multiple times to come out. And yet nothing's happening. Now, isn't that interesting? So he'd been working for some time. He doesn't lack power or authority, but yet, but yet it's not happening right away. It's interesting. 
You see, there's a key here, and that key is, is that you can have all power and all authority, but if you're not ready to get delivered, then I can lay hands on you. We could get all of Legacy Church to lay hands on you. And it's not that we lack power or authority. It's, it, it really boils down to the question, are you ready to be set free? There's a key in here. You can come to Encounter Weekend. We do Encounter Weekends here usually three, four times a year. And Jesus always shows up. I'm always amazed at how the Lord shows up in powerful ways. And if you don't receive what you need, I'm just going to say this, it's not Jesus' fault. You may need to review some things about your own life because, because there's a cooperation that must come in your deliverance. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe that God does amazing things and no one can stop Him. But when it comes to His people, He wants cooperation. There are some things that we have to cooperate in in order to see His work manifest in our life. So let me give you just a couple of things. I put them in the form of a question that hopefully you can write down. You can let the Holy Spirit begin to ask you these questions. And I believe if you'll let Him work in you, it can bring you to a place where you'll get your full freedom. The foundation of your freedom. Number one, write this down. Have you reached the place of exhaustion? Have you reached the place of exhaustion? Now, this guy, Legion, had exhausted all the options that were presented to him or forced upon him, and obviously none worked. Now, here's the key. Everybody around an oppressed person can move heaven and earth. And a lot of times, that's what we see in a lot of dysfunctional homes. You've got one oppressed person, and everyone else is scrambling to try to figure out the answer for that one oppressed person. And that one oppressed person isn't doing a thing to get out of their oppression. And so what happens is, is all of us say, yes, we're exhausted. But the person that's oppressed isn't exhausted. Because everyone else is moving for them. And there comes a moment, if you're facing an oppression, that you've got to say to yourself, am I exhausted living this way? Am I exhausted? I, I, I can't exhaust everyone around me. Now, I, I realize most of them will let people around them be exhausted. So those of you that are orbiting an oppressed person, I mean, there comes a moment when you've got to say to yourself, I'm done being exhausted. It is time they got exhausted. It is time they put some effort into this. It is time they put some energy into this. It is time they started pressing into their freedom. Have mercy. If it was based on my intercession, they'd be freed and a missionary in Africa right now. But it's not up to just your intercession. When are they going to intercede? When are they going to get on their knees? When are they going to press through the night? When are they going to fast? And have you reached the place you are exhausted? You have no idea. How many times people will come and they'll sit with me and listen. And I'm not, I'm not unveiling any conversation because I've had these conversations thousands of times through the years. And folks will sit in my office and they will say, Oh, pastor, I'm at the end of my rope. I have no other options. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I want to say, praise God. You're in a good place. Because you can't get through this issue with your own strength or your own ingenuity. Think about it. Whether it was the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible tells us she had an issue of blood that she'd been on her cycle literally nonstop for over two or three decades. 
And she'd exhausted herself with all of the doctors until she reached the point she heard Jesus was walking through town and she gets on her hands and knees in the mud and the poo-poo and she's going through all of this just to reach the hem of his garment. That's what an exhausted person looks like. I've done everything. I've got no other, I've got no other hope. What about the man at the pool of Bethesda who kept saying, ain't nobody going to put me in the pool. Why won't somebody put me in the pool? That Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants to throw me in the pool when the angel starts stirring. Hey, you know what? Drag your sorry carcass down the steps. If they ain't picking you up, use your elbows. Use your shoulders. I bet people would even appreciate a little energy on your part. But that's what exhaustion looks like. What about blind Bartimaeus who's at the side of the road and he's crying out, Son of David, Son of David. And everybody's looking at him going, shh, 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 don't bother the Master. And he just keeps saying, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. He'd reached the place of exhaustion. I'm not letting people stop me anymore to get to what I need from God. God moves to help exhausted people. The problem in our country is We have untold options and we keep trying everything except what will work. Have you reached the place of exhaustion? Are you tired of everybody's analysis and are you ready to get to the feet of Jesus? See, we got to preach this stuff again because I'm telling you, there was a day that the hardcore bound people were getting free. Nowadays, we change our theology to say, well, God just still loves you and you're just going to be messed up the rest of your life. I want to go back to the, I want to go back to seeing free people again. Let's see some freedom. So, have you reached the place of exhaustion? Number two. Have you identified the root of your dysfunction? This is what I was calling the open door. Have you identified the root of your dysfunction? Now, I want you to listen to me real carefully because I believe this will be revelation for some. Jesus, when he came to the man, remember he'd been trying on multiple occasions to get that unclean spirit out of him. And then he stopped and he asked his name. It says in verse 9, he said, what's your name? The guy answered, he said, my name's Legion. Now, for years, and those of you that may have read this passage and have looked at it, for years, I have always zeroed in on the concept that a Roman legion was somewhere around 6,000 troops. How many of you know if your name's Legion, you got issues? And and, and so it was almost like an opportunity to use an over-the-top illustration of a guy that's just swarmed with unclean spirits. And that's that's how I used to always see it. 6,000, can you imagine? 6,000 devils in him. And it just, it just, I just stopped there. But as I was meditating on that this week, it just, it just, leapt in me that maybe there was another reason Jesus asked for his name. You see, Roman soldiers could do things that could make your blood run cold. I mean, Roman soldiers, to be honest with you, weren't much better than criminals. They were despicable. They were brutal. They were sadistic. They were animals. And I started to think that perhaps this man had been abused by some soldiers. Maybe he'd been traumatized by these soldiers somehow or another. Brutalized, maybe tortured. They weren't beyond that. Maybe he'd seen his family killed or murdered. 
Maybe there was an injustice that a Roman legion had perpetrated upon his family members, maybe his wife, maybe he himself was raped, maybe, maybe he was thrown into slavery, or worse, some unfairness or injustice. And, and I suddenly I just saw out of this passage that Jesus wasn't looking to have a conversation with a devil because it's just cool, and he could put it on his CD, and then people all around the world could hear some garbled up voice going, my name is Legion. I mean, that wasn't what it was all about. I believe that Jesus was getting to the root the door. What is it that opened you up to this severity? And Jesus, when he, when he heard what the root was, then that was the moment he could begin to move in and cleanse the life. He could begin to set the prisoner free. Listen, some of you in this room, and it's no shame. There is nobody. I know a few people that can get through life that's not been traumatized at some level. Now, your trauma, trauma, trauma may not be like any of the things I've described, but, but it's, just, it's just rare to find people who navigate life without a trauma or two. It's rare to find people who've never faced an injustice or an unfairness. And sometimes those turn into bitterness. Can you say amen? I mean, I mean has anyone here had a perfect life so far? Nobody's you know, giving you the short end of the stick. Nobody's done anything wrong to you. There's been no unfairness, no injustice. How many of you could say that at least at a minimal level, I have experienced things that just weren't right? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. That's me. There's traumas. 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 Your boss. You know, your boss can fire you. You're, you're not hired for the job. You aren't given what your heart's desire was. The, the person that you'd hoped uh, you were going to marry rejects you. you. You went through a divorce. You, 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 you experienced some criminal activity. Maybe you were raped. Maybe you were sodomized. Maybe as a child, uh, you experienced something from an authority that was just over the top bad. I mean, I could go down the list. You know I could. Can you imagine the traumas just in this room? And most of the time, those traumas, when they're left unresolved, become these open doors in our life, despite the fact that we love God and we worship God. We're even born again and saved, but this trauma has opened up a door that the enemy shoots through all the time. And he seeds us out of that trauma, certain thoughts and thought patterns and habits. And he, and he begins to convolute and twist our thinking until finally we think the lie is truth and the truth is a lie. And we think people think this way and we work in speculations. And, and finally, Paul said that there comes a moment that we have to take these things captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to renew our minds in order that we can get to the place that we can be free. But you can't be free until you begin to understand why it is the enemy has an open door. Listen, you can medicate it, but it doesn't close the door. Are you following me? You can do it. You can medicate. And I'm not saying you won't be better. You just, the oppression you've just made sleepy. It's a sleepy oppression. There comes a moment when you say, I'm tired of living it this way. I believe, I really do, I believe there's an answer. But you see, you've got, you've got to exert your energy and you've got to really exhaust yourself. The enemy is ever vigilant. Do you think really that if you have purpose and destiny in your life and that God has a plan for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, my wife's favorite passage, 
plans for a future and a hope. Is it not true that if God has those things for you, do you think the enemy's just going to roll over and just say, well, they're, they're untouchable now? Absolutely not. You're the one that's going to be in his crosshairs that he's going to be hanging on with every ounce of vigilance he has in order to keep you from God's best. Listen to me. The good news is this. He may be hanging on, but Paul said that the God of peace could crush him beneath our feet. And the problem is, is that we have got to arise and begin to put that into practice. Right. So maybe you've been traumatized, abused, betrayed, rejected. If you let Jesus touch the root, you can be free. Number three. Will you acknowledge your only answer to this dysfunction? Will you acknowledge your only answer to this this dysfunction? People don't get free because they want to retain their options and commitments. The only answer for people in this nation is Jesus. And until we acknowledge that, we will stay bound. Jesus is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. If we don't begin to answer that he, if we don't begin to embrace that he is the answer, then we're never going to be set free. Jesus isn't sharing the spotlight or the throne with anyone. Just like Jesus isn't sharing the throne with Muhammad. No one else wants to say it, I'll say it. No, no, he's not. He's not sharing it with Buddha. In fact, in Buddha's throne, there ain't no room. Jesus isn't sharing the spotlight. He isn't looking for people to try him out like a new vitamin. Oh yeah, come try Jesus. Kind of like we're trying this, this new vitamin. And let's see if this works. Jesus isn't looking for triers. He's looking for surrenderers. He's looking for you to say, you are it. You're the answer. If you're not the answer, I'm toast. And there's something about that moment of true surrender that that honors the heart of God and causes Him to smile. And He moves upon those people and He says, I will set you free. I'll set you. So you'll know, you'll know it wasn't anyone other's wisdom. It wasn't any other option. It wasn't like a little bit of me and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It was me who did this for you. Number four, are you prepared to sever some relationships? I'm just talking about questions that you need to ask if you want to be free. Not every relationship you have with family and friends is necessarily good for your freedom and wholeness. In fact, some relationships actually enable demonic activity and dysfunction. In verse 15, it's interesting that Jesus sets this man free. In fact, look at verse 15. He sets this man free to where he is whole, the Bible says. He is in his right mind. He's clothed. Isn't that interesting? And yet his friends, it says, and they were afraid. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you ever saw that or not. So in other words, the guy finally gets right. He's no longer dysfunctional. He's functional. And everyone around him now, the Bible says, is fearful. So hear me. We get right with God. We get healed. But our friends think we're nuts. And yet when we were taking our clothes off, running around with chains, everybody thought we were the life of the party. Isn't that true? So stay naked and crazy and you'll have friends. Get whole and right. And you might lose a few. You got to get a hold of that. Do you want to keep your friends or do you want to be whole? 
Do you want to keep the toxic environment or are you ready to get to a place of healing? I mean, you can hear people right now. Hey, hey, we're going to have a party over here. Let's invite Legion. He's always good for a few laughs. Doesn't take much to get him on the table with the lampshade on his head. But when you get whole, the Bible says, they get afraid. And some people never get delivered because they know. And the enemy will tell you this. You'll lose, you'll lose all your friends. Well, you know, that may be the one time the enemy's telling you the truth. You could. You could. Of course, he never tells you that God will grow you up a whole bunch of better ones. So I guess it's kind of like a half lie or a half truth. I guess a half truth is a lie. But some people never get delivered because they refuse to cut off relationships that are toxic. You want to get whole? There's some people that don't want you whole. you got to identify that. Are you prepared to do that? And finally, number five, will you change your environment? Jesus, it's interesting, after he sets him free, sends him out of the region of Gadara. And the Bible tells him, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus told him to go to a place called Decapolis. Decapolis It was actually a place that was like a a metropolitan area with this suburbia around it. It literally meant ten cities. So so he sends him out of that environment that he was in, in Gadara, and he says, go to Decapolis. And it's amazing, when he goes to Decapolis, the Bible tells us there, in verse 20, that all marveled. Isn't that interesting? If he stayed in Gadara, everybody was afraid. But when he went to Decapolis, everybody marveled. When he was in Gadara, everybody was doing their best to, to keep him chained and to, to, to keep him in the condition he was in. But the minute he went to Decapolis, all of a sudden he was in an environment that we will find out later from historians that the first time they ever heard the gospel was from this guy right here who had once been bound, but now he'd been set free. See, sometimes people don't keep their deliverance because they refuse to change their environments. If the job that you have is a toxic environment to your faith. I'm not telling you to go quit tomorrow. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying go run quit tomorrow. I'm not saying that. But you know, there does come a moment in our life that we have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to remain in toxic places or not? Maybe, maybe, maybe God's saying to you, it's time to trust God and find a new environment. I'm just telling you, why do we stay in toxic environments? It could be schools. It could be colleges. It could be dorms. It could be your friends. It could be your ball team. It could be family reunions. If it's a bad place for you spiritually, then maybe you need to do what millions of other free people have done. Change your environment. If you can't go without getting sloshed and you're not prepared yet or strong enough to get the sloshing, then you know what? Don't step in the cesspool. Say, well, we're supposed to love people. Well, I love people. But I'm not letting them drag me into their slop. If you want your dysfunction, keep it. You enjoy your universe. I'm not joining you in your universe. Are you, are you hearing me? I, I have had to change environments. I've had to do that for my household because wholeness and freedom is more important than convenience and deliverance is more important than what people think. I mean, they're looking, people are looking for a testimony of somebody who's in their right mind. Folks, that could be the church. It was designed to be the church. We are the ones that are to be the light in the middle of dysfunction. 
And people can look at us and say, how did you, how did you stay married so long? How did you, how did you keep that together so well? How is it that you seem to navigate the storms of life so well? How come this worked out this way for you? They're looking for answers and the only thing they're hearing so far is here, take this prescription. Well, I've got a prescription. Take Jesus. Give me a pad. I write messy too. Again, I, I, I'm glad for doctors. I've, I've taken antibiotics. I've taken ibuprofen. Praise God for ibuprofen. I'm not, I'm not saying don't do this. I'm not against this. Don't walk out of here and say, he's just against that. So he's weird. He's just as weird as can be. You're looking for a reason to dodge to come to terms with the root of the issue. The root of the issue is we're alienated from God. The root of the issue is we've left open doors that have been unresolved. The reason is we won't forgive. The reason is we won't break past associations. It's not, it doesn't, it's not brain surgery. So my question is, are you ready to get free? You see, it doesn't matter what degree of oppression you may have. It seems to me any dysfunction would be too much dysfunction. And through the years, people, people have asked me, and this is just kind of a little side note. They've asked, well, Pastor, why do you think Jesus cast the devils into the pigs? Well, you know, the joke has always been because he wanted deviled ham, but... I'm just saying, it wasn't my joke. It was getting too tight in the room. We needed, a, we needed a comedic break for just a moment. Why did, why did Jesus cast the devils in, into the pigs? And I don't know if I have the exact answer, but I believe this at least could be one of the answers is because I think he was underscoring to the people of that region that your freedom, a man's freedom, is more important than your property. A man's freedom is more important than what you own and your wealth that you've accrued and all the things that you consider to be so important. People are more important than pigs. I, I just believe that was the reason. I think he confronted the whole town who for years let Legion run around like this crazy man and could have cared less. And Jesus said, you cared more about your pigs than you did about this man. I'm going to show you what I think. And he cast all those devils out into all those pigs. I'm going to ask our musicians and our singers, if you begin to make your way up, no matter what your personal level of dysfunction or oppression may be, and let me just say again, you may just have minor bouts of discouragement, but yet you know, I mean, you're the only one who would know. You know that at times it shuts you down and causes the purposes of God to be cut off from your life. Some, I suspect, here may be just teetering on clinical, full-blown clinical depression. I'm just telling you, it's time Jesus set you free.